right. Um, okay, so we're back with Walks of Life. I'm honored to be here with Brian Matthews, the one and only. Uh, and we are actually in front of the old Flappers Claremont location. Uh, currently, it is for lease. It's been gutted out. It's just a giant empty building with no stage and... It's crazy because I remember this is where we all would come every Friday night for a long time. Yep, this is where we got started. This yep. was the first consistent open mic that I ever went to. Yeah, this is literally the second place, uh, like two days after my first mic that I went to, too. It's like, oh, this is comedy. Yeah. Um, so before we keep going, real quick, what's your name and who are you in a nutshell? My name is Brian Matthews, and I am kind of an angry person I think it's probably the easiest way to describe myself um, I'm kind of beyond that point in my life where I'm just going to keep that to myself I think um, as you do as you get older Yeah, and, and I think as <laughs> politics has like engulfed more of our lives I've just stopped keeping things to myself because y- you know you look through history and you see enough things happen and you're like well if more people wouldn't have kept that to themselves that wouldn't have happened it's very true point. So that's kind of the, the life I try to lead is to inspire enough people to, hey, maybe we should all be speaking up about this. That's good, man. So. I'm, I'm currently in the apathetic 30s period <laughs> of my life where I was very political at one point, and now I'm just tired, yeah. mostly. Yeah, we're all tired of it. <laughs> tired and frustrated. Um, before we skip over the point, too, what, what do you do for work? So I am currently the principal of a school. Um, I taught for a few years and then got promoted to assistant principal, got promoted to principal. I'm in my 10th year of education and my sixth year of leadership. So it all happened faster than I wanted it to, but it's been fun. I don't regret any of it, and it gives me a pretty unique perspective on things. Being as young as I am, I'm 35, you know, so I basically got into leadership at 29, which is rare. So just having that perspective, especially for comedy, is nice because... You see so many things on social media directed at where we should be going with education and what we should be teaching our kids and how we should be, you know, doing things. And a lot of that comes from people who don't work in education. And so to see that and have to counter that bias uh, is difficult. But that's one of the reasons that I've just stopped shutting up about things. And I will gladly argue with you about (laughs) anything that you want. If I have a strong enough opinion on it. That's actually quite inspirational. (laughs) Uh, I hope to come away from this podcast a bit more vocal about how I truly feel. Um, So you never really intended to become a principal or... I I wanted to, but I don't think I wanted to this quickly. It was always in my plans to do it. You know, like, oh, I'm going to teach for 10 or 15 years and then I'll do it down the line. And then... I just always found myself at the table making decisions or being asked about things that I'm like, why are they asking me about this stuff? Like, I'm not, who am I? You know, and then that happens when they respect your opinion or when you have enough good ideas. And so eventually I was very highly encouraged by the other leadership at the other sites that were like, hey, you know, just apply for this job. And then I just kept getting them. (laughs) And so that was that. Um, But I'd always thought I'd wanted to do it eventually. And... It's funny because when people listen to my comedy and they're like, they'll come up to me and I'm going to try to start shying away from this. I really want to start talking about things in comedy as like, oh, I used to be in education and, you know, um, but people will always come up to me like, are you really a school principal? And, yeah, I'm not lying about that stuff, you know, but I, I kind of want to shift away from it. Yeah, because I feel you are the first one to bring it to my attention that when you're up there on stage, if you say you're a comedian... They assume you're a comedian. Mm-hmm. Like, they will accept whatever logic you give them. Right. And, like, it had never occurred to me when I was talking about being a nurse um, that I could always say I was a nurse mm-hmm. until you brought that to light. And, like, suddenly people's preconcept, pre- preconceived notions of who you are based on that identity that you're putting there mm-hmm. uh, go away. And you're, like, in a much more free place to play and build right. ideas. It's brilliant. And that was feedback that I had gotten, too from um, a a comedy judge in a contest and was like, hey, if you talk about this as I used to do this, more people can relate to you because there's probably a heck of a lot of people in that audience that just would love to quit their job. Right. (laughs) And just to be able to look at you and be like, oh, man, this guy did it. 
And then I think the things that you say, so I've recently, I think for the first two years of my comedy, I really avoided talking about education. And then I've just been so angry lately about some of the things I've been seeing and just dumb things, you know, like when you see a meme pop up on Facebook that's uh, anti-millennial most of the time. They're like, right. these millennials don't even know about, they don't even know cursive. Oh, how do they, they're so dumb. They don't know. And you're like, bro, millennials aren't the teachers that didn't teach me cursive. Like. You didn't teach me cursive. <laughs> you, in fact, you didn't vote to keep it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, just going through, and it's like, why is that your concern? There's so many more important things that we don't know other than cursive, and that you're fixated on this. Uh, so I've just been getting angry and starting writing down all the things that people are upset about education-wise. Because we, we're always so quick to blame teachers, you know, who have your kid one hour a day for 185 days a year, but we don't blame the parents who have them the other hours for 365 days a year. Right. And so that's kind of where I've started writing towards, and it's easier to write towards that as a former educator. I feel like I get more freedom. Because whenever you mention that you're a principal and they start wondering and thinking like, oh my gosh, is this true? Then they start missing the things that you're saying immediately after that. And you don't want them thinking about that stuff in the moment. Right. So I completely agree with that. Uh, there needs to be more accountability on in general. And I think that's probably goes back to the beginning of time, mm-hmm. beginning of man. Uh, there needs to be more accountability. That term, that concept that needs to be ingrained into us like year after year from mm-hmm. birth. I think because right. it's certainly something that I've come to terms with as I've gotten older, mm-hmm. you know, no one's perfect, but people are very quick to blame others and not see their own part in things. Um, with that in mind, too, are there any major issues that come to mind that you feel are overlooked educational? Um, uh, overlooked educational barriers to creating a better system, creating the most ideal version of uh, the educational system that you envision? Uh, politics is a big problem. I think both yeah. sides always see different solutions to different problems and different political spectrums always want to allocate different amounts of money towards schools and so some groups think um, you know if the school is doing bad let's give them more money get them the resources they need to do better some groups think if schools are doing bad let them fail let's have a bunch of private schools you know the government shouldn't be paying for education at all and we should have some type of voucher system where you know if you want to go to a private school will cover you know a fraction of that cost which is still very pro middle to upper class and works very heavily against the poor because the poor kids are not going to take a voucher and go to a school just because they get a discount on it they're still going to be stuck at the public school which then you know loses resources with kids moving away because schools get money for every student that they have they get a you know dollar amount depending on the type of student there is it's a lot to get into um but it's just targeting kids that come from poor backgrounds and all we want to do is create equity and give kids equal chances. And Especially when you're developing. I mean, that seems yeah. to be a no-brainer there, and yet it is something that's unfortunately uh, right. very persistent and common. Yeah, and yeah. one thing that I hear a lot, too, is, you know, with, like, free lunch programs, and there are kids that whose families can't afford food, and so we give them some free breakfast and free lunch, and the people that can't afford it lose their minds. They're like, oh, I, I wish my kid could get a free breakfast. I'm like... Well, then quit your job and be poor. Like, what's right. stopping you? You know, why don't you just be thankful that you have the things that you have? And I don't know if you've ever tried to teach a hungry kid something, but you can't. And then so if we're not right. feeding them and they're not learning, they grow up and then they, they don't have any education. And then what do they do? They turn to crime and now they're breaking into your car because, you know, you didn't want to give them breakfast. Right. It's Antisocial just, values breeds antisocial behavior. Right. So those are the things that just irritate me. Like, just let us, if you're not in education, I get that you have your uh, opinion on how to do things, but it's, a lot of it's misguided. And uh, like one of the big arguments that I keep finding myself in is with all the school shooting stuff and what we should be doing. And if you tell me that we should be giving guns to teachers, I'm, I can't even have a serious conversation with you about that. Because I have teachers that, <laughs> you know, I walk into places and I, they can't find their keys. I see their keys sitting there or their wallets are sitting there. And kids all the time will break into locked cabinets to get things. Yeah. And I'm like, you want to talk about liability? Wait till a kid breaks into a locked cabinet and takes a teacher's gun. 
Oh, God. And then, like, best case scenario, so you're going to have this poor educator who probably feels very conflicted about their job and mm-hmm. what they're actually doing anyway, like, waste away a, a poor kid that, you know, in this scenario we'll assume is an innocent kid in their mind right. and then subject them to, like, years of PTSD and trauma therapy because of this decision that they didn't sign on for. Like, right. they're not coming out to schools to be cops. Right. You know, like, it, I hear that argument, and it blows my mind that it was even a serious discussion at one point yeah. to vote on whether or not we should arm the educators. Right. Like, no. I would be more curious <laughs> to see where that money is going to come from. Guns mm-hmm. are expensive. You know how many times I've bought, like, pencils and notebooks for my kids? Right. And now you've got money for a Glock? Like, where's that? money coming from and that's like the educational funding in itself this is the part of the comedy i've just started getting into where you know people are like oh free college where's that money going to come from i'm like the money that we spend maybe on on tanks and missiles planes maybe some of that money like okay i'm on my third house right i used to live in victorville i've bought two houses every time i've bought a house and i've lived in a different area we've either had to vote for bonds that specifically say we're going to raise the tax by you know a quarter of a percent, and that money's going to go to the local school district. Or I currently live in a neighborhood right now that had Melarus, right? $3,600 mm. extra taxes per year, and that money's going to go towards the school to develop the school and pay for things. And I think those Melarus go away after 20 years, which if you look at the amount that I'm actually going to pay over 20 years, that will pay for like one teacher for one year, right? But the, the thing is, a lot of times those get stacked onto all these houses and people have to vote for these bonds how come when we need money for school we have to vote on these bonds how come you know no one's ever knocked on my door I'm like hey uh we need a new tank you want to buy maybe 20 pounds of this peanut brittle like how can we never get to that no one ever talks about the free military but we're just harping on free education and it, those are the things that just enrage me. Yeah, if you look at our yearly budget, there's tons of money that's unaccounted for that goes into defense budget. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're diverting money now from the Pentagon to build the wall. Yeah, that's... The wall that opens yeah. up on the bottom in some parts <laughs> to prevent flash floods. I was so blown away, and I know this is the second time I'm bringing this up on the podcast, but like the fact that somebody had to do a serious cost estimate on how much it would cost to build a moat around the wall with alligators yes honest to god you can look it up they were pricing out alligators (laughs) to fill this moat to solve this weird issue with diplomacy we apparently have Mm -hmm. um baffling yeah baffling that we got to this that we got this far you guys remember the civil rights movement (laughs) yeah yeah our infrastructure in a lot of places like flint michigan to this day i bring up flint michigan at least once a day in an argument i know and it's a sad thing because like you want to think that it's solved but it's still going on right and it's been years yeah well that's one of the things that issue of michigan i generally bring it up (laughs) because i saw something funny i think there's a twitter account that says like they tweet every single day yeah. Like, just thought you guys should know, today was another day that Flint, Michigan didn't have water, and, like, Jeff Bezos didn't decide to do anything about it. You know, just hoarding his $100 billion that he's yeah. sitting on. And you're like, just help people. Well, that's just really what it comes down to, yeah. is, like, be empathetic, be cool, have a heart, yeah. be kind to each other. That's why I love Bill Gates. Bill Gates and all the things with his foundation that he's done, if you look up everything they've done with vaccinations, and he's... Meals on Wheels in Seattle is sponsored by Microsoft. And I think he's given away, like, when they die, like, 98% of his fortune, I think, is going to charities. So, Need more people like that. Um, And I know it's easier to say, I guess, than it is to implement. But really, if you start thinking kindly, uh, and if everybody was just to encourage each other to look out for each other, Mm -hmm. we would all be built up by... uh, instantaneously just by virtue of looking out for one another mm-hmm. um we are getting a little off topic um but i i love the passion that comes out when we're talking about this stuff because uh, it's it's very it's not very often that i get to talk about ideas and values that i have very seriously that have since become muddled in my own apathy because it's just been a wild ride 
these past uh, my entire life, really. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to watch <laughs> the political climate and its uh, ebbs and flows in the state of our country, I guess. But enough about that. Where did you grow up? I grew up <laughs> in Riverside, California. Right on. And so I was telling my wife this like two days ago. I grew up in a, a really nice house, a really nice family that was well off up in um, an area called Lake Hills, right, where you can mm-hmm. see Lake Matthews and a nice area. Beautiful. And so, yeah, really nice. And until I got into stand-up comedy and I start going to Mike's and everyone starts ripping on Riverside and everyone's laughing and that's like a common punchline. And I was like, I don't understand why everyone's ripping on Riverside as like this terrible place to live. It's quite beautiful in spots, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I realized, like, oh, I grew up in, like, one of the nicest areas of it and didn't even really go to any of the other spots know how bad of an area it was until as an adult, like, looking around, I'm like, oh, I was super privileged. And so, right. th- uh, yeah, I was born and raised in Riverside, and so we used to live kind of over by last year high school, I think, when I was born, and then when I was, like, two, we moved up to Lake Hills, and my parents still live in that house. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, Riverside is kind of like a catch-all term for this giant, massive area yeah, that it's was huge. unincorporated at one point, yeah, and, then, and that's, now it's kind of fragmented. Yeah, and that's why, like, you can say that about any area, because if you have an area that's big enough, you're going to have pockets of, right. hey, there's houses over here that are like $1.3 million, but there's also, like, really bad areas that, you know, yeah, have more crime than others, and that's just, that's not different than New York or anywhere, you know, so... Yeah, unfortunately, with uh, there is unequal distribution of resources throughout our landscape, and it can extend further than just the country. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, what is the single solution? I don't know. <laughs> but is it to ignore it? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so, growing up in Riverside, um, like, were your parents educators at all or professors? No, not at all. My mom basically was a stay-at-home mom and raised us and didn't go back to work until we I think hit high school and now she's actually the she's been the secretary at the middle school I went to that's down the street from our house for I don't know 12 years something like that maybe more or less um but no none of them worked in education I think I just wanted to get into education because the most influential people in my life in terms of like helping me navigate like difficult teen years were teachers yeah you know because i was pretty bullied in middle school i think our our middle school just had a huge bullying problem i was talking about this with a buddy too the other day about the bullies that we all had and our school was just awful and so you know you look towards teachers to kind of help rectify that and they kind of help guide you and then as you get older through high school help navigate you know the college application process and decisions and and what you want to do and so I, i just thought I had so many good history teachers that were always having so much fun. I was like, oh, I'll do that for 30 years. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I did for three and a half <laughs> until cool. I got promoted. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I got into it. And then I also played baseball, and that was, like, one of the main reasons I went to college. And so as a teacher, you're like, oh, I can teach and I can coach baseball. This is an awesome life. And so as a teacher, I was coaching baseball and golf and girls basketball at the same time. Very so cool. that was tough, but it was a lot of fun. I had no experience in basketball, but they were like, hey, can you coach girls basketball in my interview? And I was like, yeah, man, I can coach anything. I've heard of basketball. Yeah, and then <laughs> no. uh, they made me do it. So don't lie in a job interview because I did it for like three years. Oh, dude, so. there's, I think, a lot of professions <laughs> can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, even as nurses, I can't tell you how many times I've seen nurses and doctors Googling things. Oh, dude, yeah. And yet, to be f- fair like it's unfair to put all this you can't pressure know everything you can't i know and the history is no different kids will ask me random questions because you always have kids that know way more about one subject than you do because they're just obsessed with it yeah and they'll ask you a question and you're like man if you go look at like what a history degree is it's a, a list of classes in each category and it's like take three from this list of 12 take three from this list of 12 take five from this list of 10 and so you get like a general base knowledge but, you know, you're going to ask a random question about a very specific period in China 
Like, I, that wasn't I don't know, my man. thing. I took civil recon- war yeah. reconstruction. And, like, type it into yeah. Google, man. I don't know everything. Like, yeah, and like people look at you like you're an asshole if you don't know everything all the time. But again, mm-hmm. it goes down to like, what is your accountability of yourself, right. Judger? <laughs> no. Um, so I mean, it's interesting to see that you. Did you have any idea of other possible careers or job aspects when you were growing up? Yeah. So I actually applied to do the Secret Service. Really? In college. Yes. And they were going to interview me because my degree was in history with a minor in sociology and I was a college athlete. Very cool. And so they were like setting up the interview and I was talking to them and I was basically just waiting because I, I went to school in Missouri. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was going to move back home to teach in California. And I missed the deadline on getting into the credential program because there's a test called the CSET that doesn't run that often as it should. And so you have to pass the CSET to get in the credential program. I'm like, well, I'm graduating out here. You know, I think the CSET was like April or May. I graduated like middle of May and then came out to California like May 15th, I think. Um, and so the test had passed, and I couldn't take it again for another month or two. And then the classes started. And uh, so what I had to do, I was like, well, I'm just going to apply for this. And if I get in, I did whatever. And so what happened was I had to go to the credential program classes. And then they were like, just audit the classes and then take your CSET. And when the scores come in, you know, you're either in or you're not. And mm-hmm. so I was just going to the classes. And then my scores came in at the last possible second like the day before I was required to be signed into the class for good. And then um, I just called the Secret Service, and I was like, I'm not going to. Got a more important job. Yeah. But I, I remember <laughs> where I was when the Secret Service called me the first time. Uh, we were at Knott's Berry Farm. Like? I was at Knott's Berry Farm, and my wife and I were uh, walking around, and I think we were there with her nephews or cousins or someone. Um, and they called me, and they are like, we want to fly you out for an interview. And I was like, oh, snap. So it was surprising, I imagine. Yeah, and I was like, if I don't pass my CSET, you know, my teacher test, yeah, let's go do it. protect the president. Uh huh. And so then I got in. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to do that. I think there's a beautiful metaphor there. That, like you had the option. Well, at You're the like, time, I'm going to go do something important. At the time, the president was Obama. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> doesn't I'm really not matter saying who the all is, but all yeah, bullets no, are worth stopping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Um, we might have to cut that. <laughs> yeah, I, we probably should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, this is why I, I try not to get into too political yeah. humor on stage these days. Like, it's a changing political climate. I'm not trying to get into gulag. I'm, now I'm actually, like, wanting to write that out as a bit. Well, you'll have this to listen back to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah man. So, I mean, it seems like, his, is it fair to say history and historical figures have inspired you? Yes. Oh, absolutely. What would you say stands out in your mind as something being inspirational to you? Just Martin Luther King, man. Like, I will quote, like, my favorite quote um, from MLK. And it's, I kind of use it, obviously he didn't intend for this, but I kind of use it as an excuse to be a jerk on the internet. But um, our lives become meaningless the day that, you know, we stop standing up for things that matter. That's not the exact quote. But, um stop being quiet if you see something bad happening yeah you know and that's why like i I had like a moment of clarity once where i was like you know what i'm not going to even bother arguing with people on the internet there's no point yeah and my wife was like oh that's cool like sweet you know good for you and that lasted like two weeks because then i realized (laughs) you know when they started putting kids in cages and you're like well if none of us said anything about it and we'd stop trying to convince people that it was bad they would be in cages they would be in cages still and I mean, arguably, well, are, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, that's the reality of you know, it. And the fact that, it, that it's still happening. And yeah, that's what's, I think, gotten me so politically apathetic is just like I was the kind of guy that would go out to protest mm-hmm. and join an organization or, you know, try and rally friends to organize. But at the same time, I don't know that a lot of that has produced a real tangible effect other than like helping us to polarize ourselves more. Right. And it's unfortunate, but I, I don't know what the solution is. Hopefully someone will hear this and be inspired to find that solution. Um, I don't know. There's I mean, no simple ways. The internet has made every single thing that happens too readily available. Yeah. 
and there's some good and bad to that for sure. It's the double-edged sword of, I can't imagine not living in an era where we have instant access to so much information. Right. But it's definitely got instant access to disinformation as well. Yeah. And that's one of the big problems, too, is just all the amount of fake news that goes on. Do you think it would be helpful and beneficial to have, like, media literacy classes or something? Oh, absolutely. But there's still so much bias. And what here's the thing that just blows my brain into bits yeah. is the people that are shouting fake news are, statistically speaking, sharing the most fake news. <laughs> Unfortunately. And you're just like, and you can't, you can't educate them. Yeah, because they've already been told that they are right and everything else is wrong. Yeah, and it's I mean, perception's reality sometimes. And blah. what do you do? <laughs> you just keep <laughs> screaming into the internet and trying to fix what's wrong. I guess I don't. Yeah, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I know. At this um, point. Are there any other historical figures that are inspiring to you, particularly? Oh man, um, or movements maybe. I mean, I don't want to get into the cliche ones. Um, it doesn't matter. You know, about all the civil rights stuff. They may like, be cliches to us, but there's people that are listening to this that maybe have never heard of Abby Hoffman or the Beat Generation or the Transcendentalists or whatever. I just look at... So I just took a field trip, I'll call it, um, through, like, Kentucky, up through Detroit into Canada where we followed, like, the... It was called Footsteps to Freedom. Mm-hmm. And we followed the... Um, underground railroad up through canada and along the way we got to stop and talk to people and see historical sites and like actually follow the footsteps that they took to cross the river you know from kentucky into ohio and then run up to the uh you know houses that they were hiding out in and that the families and the thing that that inspired me the most is there was always a family somewhere willing to break the law to help people and one of the things that angers me all the time when people say you know they confuse morality with the law and you're like well slavery wasn't against the law does that make it right no those two aren't the same and so people will confuse breaking the law with being immoral and you're like okay so you're telling me if you lived in that time you wouldn't help slaves escape because that's breaking the law is that moral or immoral and you really tie them up you know what you know they either have to admit one or the other and so that was super inspirational to me is just to see all the people and that's kind of like where i've tried um and i I do have one more moment that i'll share Um, please i i try to find those types of things that are inspiring and i'm like okay you know if you could watch human history as a movie and you're looking at these people, like, who would you most want to identify with, right? And I think the people that are helping them escape, you would be like, that would be me. Um, one of the most crazy moments of my life that, that truly stands out, I took a bunch of students to the Museum of Tolerance. Oh, beautiful place. And they actually had a Holocaust survivor there speaking. And he was like the most upbeat guy you've ever seen. That's cool. And that made me feel like a piece of shit. Because I was right. like, why am I so angry? I was like, I'm so angry and I'm yeah. so mad all the time about the dumbest things. And this guy like went through the most, one of the most horrific things in human tragedy, you know, in human history. And he's like sitting here positive about it. Just upbeat. Couldn't be happier to talk to these kids. And so, and then one of my kids was like, how did you get through that? Like what motivated you? And he was like, my friends. And he said he was there with two of his friends. And that they just stayed together the whole time. And he was like, you know, they gave us a blanket that was too thin to be useful. But all three of us put our blankets together and huddled underneath it. It was a useful blanket. Mm. And so they're like, we stuck together. We inspired each other. And you're like, oh, shoot. That's super inspirational. Like, you're going to be put into situations that are awful. But for the most part, I think people in general eventually will do the right thing. And so that's kind of what I look at as, you know, uh, people cause a lot of these situations, but ultimately good people win, right? For the most part, if you look at history, like good people win eventually. Yeah. So even where we're at now, the good people will win eventually. 
Think globally, act locally. <laughs> Seriously. I'm going to repeat that at the end. I like it. Um, but yeah, no, I... It's a beautiful metaphor, actually, to think that, you know, they they were given those thin blankets and it was only through collaboration and working mm-hmm. together that they were able to make something useful out of it. Yeah. Uh, that's what I feel like we're here for. I did another podcast where um, yeah. the guy was asking me... It was a religious podcast and, you know, I'm not religious at all. And... He was like, well, what's the meaning of life? And I, I've used that example. I'm like, the meaning of life is no matter what situation you're in, be good to other people and be here for each other. We're here for each other. Yeah, definitely. That's and it. it. I'm kind of happy that you brought that up because I think there's this preconceived notion of atheists being angry people that don't believe in good mm-hmm. or justice or equality or fairness or tolerance. Right. And I always tell people, well, cause the, one of the most irritating questions is like, how do you get through life not believing in anything? I'm like, I believe in us. I believe in people. Which is a power bigger than yourself in its own right. right. Yeah. You know who freed the people from Auschwitz? Other people. Right. Good people, better people. And so that's kind of how I look at life is, you know, what are you doing here? So I do a lot. You know, I'm a volunteer big brother for Big Brothers Big Sisters, which I love. That's awesome. Um, I'm a volunteer driver for Road to Recovery, where it's mostly elderly cancer patients who can't drive themselves to treatments. And so, you know, whenever I have free time, I'll drive them to treatments, pick them up, drive them home. Um, I give to a lot of charities. You know, I've done a lot of charity shows. Same. That's that's what we're here for. And I feel like if you're not doing those things, like, what are you doing? You know? Right, yeah. And it's unfortunate, but, like, the idea of civic duty, I don't think, is really preached on as much as it should be in school these days. Yeah. Um, You know, and I can only account for my own experience, so I don't know what else is out there. But there aren't a lot of people that I encounter uh, in comedy, necessarily, Mm -hmm. that are out there trying to do good for others. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's it's unfortunate, because, like, this is a medium... They can definitely be used to bridge so many gaps and uh, be a powerful tool. That's why I'm happy, too, that, like, uh, we're getting back to the point it feels like where, you know, satire is acceptable again. Mm -hmm. Because it felt for a couple years that, uh (laughs) uh-oh, satire is not allowed anymore. Right? And, like, uh, thankfully the pendulum's swinging the other way. Because I feel like, and I've mentioned this before, but it's so, so important to be able to look at ourselves honestly and poke fun at uncomfortable situations and exist in these spots that aren't necessarily the most uh, familiar and, you know, fluid and comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any hobbies outside of being a superhero? Oh, <laughs> man. I play a lot of video games. Yeah. I would say that's probably my biggest one. And spend most of my free time doing that or traveling. Yeah. And so um, we haven't been able to travel lately. But my wife had a, a very busy job, and she just switched jobs. So like you, she's also a nurse. And so she just got a new job that's way more flexible. Very cool. And so um, we will be, I don't know when this is going to come out, but we will be in Hawaii over spring break for the first time in, like, two years. That's one of my favorite places in the world. And, you know, hopefully during the summer we can go somewhere else. But, no, I've been to... You know, Ireland, Scotland, England, France, Germany, Italy, um, China, Australia, just a bunch of places. That's that's all we care about is traveling when do we have th- free time. Do you think that uh, in addition to creating some sort of leisurely activities and new spaces, like does it help you personally grow as a person? It does. Just seeing other places you know, not only does it make you realize how good you have it, but just seeing how other countries do things. And, you know, I think we're super spoiled here. Yeah. We're really the only country that has a concept of personal space. I don't know <laughs> right. if you know that. But like, it always takes me like a day or two to adjust because we'll go somewhere. One of my favorite things to do is use public transportation because most countries, everything is super close. It's not like here yeah. where everything's super far away. And so we use public transportation and someone will get on the bus or the, you know, metro or whatever, and just be up against you. And you're like, is this person robbing me? What's happening? And you realize, <laughs> no, that's just what they do. It's just, there's just not that much space and there's more people and in a smaller, you know, area. And they just, they bump into each other a lot. It's not a big deal. And just being able to eat other food 
and see other places is so eye-opening, I think. Is there a place that comes to mind? I know you said Hawaii is like one of your most favorite places ever, but in terms of inspiring, awe-inspiring places, is there one place or a couple places that you've been to that you feel like people should absolutely make it a point to put on their bucket list? Oh, man, I spent two weeks in China, and that was insane. Did it feel communist? Like, what um, was that like? The internet was very censored anytime I got on it. Yeah. You know, but what was crazy to me about China, other than the fact that, like, I felt on the road there were no rules. You know, I have yeah. cool pictures where there are dudes on motorcycles coming right at us and we're on a bus <laughs> and I'm in the front of the bus and he's just like not that far away. I'm like, this dude's <laughs> so going to go funny. straight into the bus. And no, he just went around. But at one point, our bus hit someone in an intersection. And you're like, oh, man. Like in here, a car or like a body? Like a, our bus hit a car. Okay. Was like, and oh so he got out and we were watching him. And yeah. He gave the guy like 200 bucks and was like, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. And then the guy That's left. how they handled yes, it? Yes. That's how they handled it. And he left. And I was like, oh, man, we would have been, there would have been a lawsuit. There would have been yeah. all kinds of stuff tied up in this. And now they just, boom, done. And so that part was crazy. And then the medicine thing was crazy, too. Yeah. Um, at one point, one of our, I went on a giant tour. And there had to have been 40-something people. on. You know, it was a charter bus, and we just went everywhere. And someone had really bad problems with their stomach. And um, they stopped at this pharmacy and went in and got this medicine for dirt cheap and took care of it instantly. And then it was just like done. And then we were in France and mm-hmm. one of my friends, I'm not going to get very specific, but hurt something that he needed medical attention on very quickly. And I should uh, mention to the listeners that you just motioned at your crotch area <laughs> so, in a giant circle because yes. I don't think they can hear that. Okay. So yeah, he something. was like he was doing something. Yeah. He was like dancing or something. He twisted something. I'll okay. Say. Okay. Down and, below. Yes, and he was able to go into a French hospital <laughs> yeah. and get it taken care of with not one bill Very that is so beautiful and ideal man yeah and, and like, i'm like and he i think he went that night and then i came back the next morning i'm like man you do that in america that's an eighty thousand dollar bill yeah and like and an eight it. hour wait yeah to like, no issue he did it and you just look at those things and you're like man our country's broken and not only that the thing about that when you look at who is voting for who and people say things like you know, if we have national health care like that, that's going to benefit you, too. person that's voting against it, yeah, it's going to benefit you, too. I understand you love your private insurance, and you love that your insurance company pays $80 for that Advil. But it doesn't have to be that way. Right. You know? And I think the biggest, uh, the biggest qualm people have sometimes with that is that you hear horror stories sometimes from, like, Canada or other places. I have a friend who moved to Canada. Right? See, but that's not even accurate. He moved yeah. to Canada because he's diabetic and needs insulin. And his insulin and here free. is 1200 bucks, And his insulin up there, yeah, he doesn't even have to pay for, basically. And he had to go through the most rigorous process to be able to live there as an American citizen. Yeah, they're not as... Uh they don't need as many people. No. But, I mean, he's got a Ph.D. His wife has a Ph.D. Oh, so it's very easy for them to do um, eventually. But he's like, I'm not ever moving back. And they live in a part of Canada where he'll send me screenshots, and it's like, it's negative six degrees today, but at least I have <laughs> insulin. You're like, that's crazy. I All mean, for medicine. People are leaving the country because of a pre-existing condition. I know it's terrible that that for a while was basically a death sentence. Yeah, um, but the people voting against that are walking around. We're the best country in the world. Yeah. At what? At thinking that. <laughs> 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 I mean, it may not be true, but if you if you say it enough times and loud yeah, enough, you will it. It might be. <laughs> no, and I, I really love our country, and you know, not to come off as too unpatriotic it sounds like you do too and it's because of that love that you see so many hopeful things yeah it it. can be better that's what i don't think like i love my house but i'm gonna rip the carpet up and put tile in right because my wife has really bad asthma it traps all the allergens she can't always breathe well i'm going to improve upon it right as it was intended concept. to, right? Yeah. Instead there of are, letting it deteriorate. Right. There are things we can all do. Condemned. 
to make things better. It's okay to love something and say, hey, this can be improved. You know, I'm sure my wife loves me. She'll probably give you a couple things that I can improve upon <laughs> as a person. As we all can. Exactly. No so, one gets to perfection. Yeah, there's things that we can do. So I don't understand why. I don't understand when they say love it or leave it. Yeah, that's always a weird thing for me, too. Like, I, and it's surprising when it comes out of certain people. Like, oh, yeah. if you don't like it, then leave. It's like, right. well, how? Yeah. How? I'm in a state now, yeah. like a state where that is not an option because right. of things that I had no say in. That's also a statement that supports refugee status. Yeah. You know, if you don't like it, leave, unless you're in another country. And if you don't like it and you do leave, don't come to our country. <laughs> right. Is what that means. So it's a Just weird... go die, please, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Is that the message you want to carry? <laughs> oh, man. It, it's actually very nice to talk to you, man. This is a side of you yeah. I don't think everybody gets to see on stage. No, I tried to do it like this once, and it came off as more angry than Bill Burr. <laughs> and I did it you know, in this room. And, um, oh, man, it, it was a combination of, like, maybe the wrong bit to try, but... I've realized if I'm going to do harsh stuff like this, yeah. I have to do five minutes of very soft, likable stuff first. Right. And then when I do do stuff like this, I have to say it and simultaneously be smiling and laughing to soften it as much as I can. That's another aspect of you that we didn't really get into because we were talking so much about the state of affairs, but which I don't regret. Um, but I, I admire your craftsmanship when it comes to taking joke writing and comedy seriously. You're one of the first people that I think I've really had serious discussions with on, you know, um, how you're conveying the message. And you're very thoughtful about everything you do. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's it's refreshing. And quite honestly, I'm very thankful that we've had the few limited engagements that we have. <laughs> um, and hopefully it continues. It will. Um, so with all that in mind, if you could go back in time and tell your younger self a bit of wisdom... Uh, to maybe improve upon your journey. And I'll broaden it a little bit and say, if you could give advice to anybody out there that might help them in theirs, is there anything that you think you might push? Oh, man. Well, I would tell myself, take all your birthday money from when you were 9 or 10, tell your dad to put it into AOL stock, <laughs> first and foremost. Uh, no, I don't. I don't look back and like regret. I do a lot of things. I try to do as much as I can. Yeah. And my whole thought process is like, I want to look back and maybe regret doing something rather than regret not doing something. The only thing I can possibly think of, and I, I waffle back on this all the time is would I have wanted to start comedy sooner? I don't know. I don't know if I was as strong a person because this is, I always tell people like playing baseball and then playing baseball was good because baseball is mostly failure, right? right? Like if you're, if you're a 300 average hitter, you fail seven out of 10 times. So you just get used to failure. That's like comedy's not that different. Life so like, really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, but comedy, especially because in life, when you fail, you're not under a spotlight Right. In comedy, when you fail, it's very pronounced and it's in front of a lot of people sometimes. <laughs> and so I don't know if I, would have had the guts to go up and fail over and over again. And so part of me is like, start sooner. Maybe I'd be further ahead by now. Another part of me is like, I also might not be doing it by now. I might have quit. Because I think young people, I see a lot of young people get into it, and they're not famous after a year or two, and they're over it. I don't know what I would have thought about it back then. Right. Like now I'm pretty level-headed, and I think I got into it knowing, you know, my goal is like, I'm going to do it for 10 years and see what happens. Whereas... 22 year old Brian might have been like I've been doing this for two years why am I not famous or, you know something like that not to say I'm even decent but I don't know if I would have you're underselling yourself a little bit oh, but <laughs> I just don't know what I would have thought about the process yeah and now I'm like such a student of it but going right. through college and even getting my master's degree and I mean I you've sat down with me and seen how I write I, I take a very like teacher approach to this where I've made my own worksheets and yeah. my habits are very systematic and yeah. methodical so I don't know other than that I would just go back and tell everyone if you see something that's not right stand up for it 
It's as simple as that. You know, stand up for it. That's what I tell kids today at school, at least. <laughs> Think globally. Act <laughs> locally. We're going to do it one more time at the end. I like it. All right. Um, well, thank you so much, man, for being here. Uh, before we sign off, is there anything in particular that you'd like to promote uh, or talk about or feel that people should look up books, quotes, anything that comes to mind? Oh, man. I wish I would have had time to think about that. I probably have more books. Um, Sorry about... I, I did give you these questions a little bit late. That's my bad. Um, off the top of my head, I, I'm honestly drawing a blank. Um, in terms of my shows, um, I'm going to co-headline Ontario Improv on July 19th. And that will up to this point be the biggest show of my life. And I'm going to actually try to sit down and craft it as if it was like an hour where I've all, I got into comedy originally because I listen to comics with messages. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if you've ever been to, like Jim Jeffrey stands out, yeah. where not only is he hilarious, but you also get a very positive message about certain things. And you don't forget the way you felt when you left that room. Right. And for the first time ever, I think I'm going to attempt to do some of those things where I'm not hypersensitive about hitting five or six laughs per minute, you know, where, oh my gosh, I went 45 seconds of talking without a laugh just to convey something that I wanted to convey. I think I'm going to shoot for that where it's going to be like an actual show with a message rather than here's my best 40. Hope you laugh the most, which is what I normally do. So we'll see how that goes. I'm going to risk alienation and failure depending on what I talk about but uh, well and so what man I mean that will only make you that much stronger and prepare you for the next thing yeah you know because who's to say that you know there's not a third act we don't know about you know in the future where you combine the two ideas and are somehow able to fuse them into this giant very high laugh per minute meaningful thing yeah and that's true and that's one thing I've noticed too is you know when you get on stage and you're like oh I'm going to talk about this and then parts that aren't punchlines get big laughs and you're like okay what can i do there right yeah, yeah. so you're right we'll see it's uh comedy is a weird thing where it develops very slowly over a lot of trial and error yeah. and then you know it at its best culminates in this giant uh, masterful like one hour thing mm-hmm. that you can look back on and be like wow yeah you know that was 20 years of thoughts and trying right into this beautiful thing right we need more of that. <laughs> we need more of that. Less, less of the Netflix specials, maybe, and more meaningful artistic pieces. Yeah. Then again, who am I? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we go to, uh, I asked you to think of a song that is particularly meaningful to you. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I can't get into the situation, but um, kind of going with my overall attitude th- towards everything, um, one of my favorite songs by Go Radio mm-hmm. is called Go to Hell. All right. And the actual song, I think, is about the guy talking to, like, an ex or something. But one of the, like, best moments of my life is when I realized, regardless of who you are, I can just tell you to go to hell, and I don't have to fixate on caring about what you think. And so, like, one of my favorite shows ever growing up is Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you remember the way Dr. Mary Albright used to tell people to go to hell. It was was just the most, like, oh, go to hell. Like, it was just the biggest middle finger ever. And I loved it. (laughs) And now I'm at that point in my life where one of the biggest uh, misconceptions that we have is we have to just make peace and get along with everyone. No, you don't. All right tell you to go to hell and then just live my life without caring about what you think even if we're related that's you know not important and so i love that message and just the thought that once you realize i don't have to care about what anyone thinks regardless of who they are i just do my thing you become so free and it's an unbelievable feeling and so i would say listen to the song and embrace the giant middle finger that it puts up. 
And that's kind of how I live, I think. Right on. So very positive and negative <laughs> message at the same time. Uh, but I, I do understand, I think, what you're saying, you know, because mm-hmm. what other people think of you and your ideas doesn't concern you. No, you can only do your half. A lot of mental health issues, and especially in our young people. And people's favorite thing to say to me sometimes is, how do you work with children? How are you working in education? Like education needs more people like me. I'm honest to these kids. You Honesty know? is a huge thing so, that is lacking in life. <laughs> yeah. And I would say like as the leader of a school, the amount of kids that will storm into my office just because they're upset about something and will just dish everything is unbelievable. I don't remember ever feeling, I don't even remember my, who my principal was in high school. And so the fact that kids are willing to come in regularly and talk to me about anything I think is a huge win. So, you know, I always tell them, why do you, why are you even worried about this? Who cares? What would happen if you didn't care what they thought, you know, or didn't matter and you just did what you wanted to do and why you wanted to do it? And they're like, oh, I, I never thought that I didn't have to care. So. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being here, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, check out Brian Matthews on all social media vote for him and are you in this year's uh world league of comedy i am in the world series of comedy in vegas on february 20th which (laughs) by the way did you uh did you place at all did you go last year i did last go last year i only went to one satellite yeah and then i did make it in the top 100 in the country so i went out to st louis to do that see so i'm hoping to finish better this year underselling himself (laughs) and advance but uh yeah i'll be in the vegas one next week and then the Santa Clarita one the week after that and they haven't released the other ones yet so hopefully more right on man I hope you win thank you sir no worries (laughs) Um, with that this has been Walks of Life I am Danny Frank and uh, one last time think globally act locally let that sit in alright have a good time guys see you next time